0: You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. For the kind introduction, uh, Bob's right. It, it has been nearly 14 years since I've given a sermon and uh, since I moved to L.A. And when uh, Aaron asked if I'd be interested in speaking this, this morning, I said, uh, yeah, I guess so. I think I remember how to do this. I mean, I paid a lot of money to go to school to learn how to give a sermon um, and then I haven't used it. So mom and dad, here you go. Um, your investment is now coming back. Um, but I also felt right, you know, it's been a long time and a lot of us, especially who go to Central here, we've gone through a process um, and we've had time to evaluate our faith. And now it feels right to me to re-engage in something that at the time I thought very uh, propelled to do, called to do, which was to be in the ministry. And it's not my life now, but hopefully I can continue to be a voice for, um, for God's love in this world. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two uh, parables of Jesus. They're similar in some ways, and they're different in some ways, and we're going to look at both of them. And we're going to read through them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk a lot about the text for a while, and it's going to be like, eh. And then at the end, we're going to try to pull it all together. For you, I ask your patience with me. I've been struggling with a cold this week, so my voice isn't as strong as it normally would be if I was a little bit more healthy. I have some tea back here. I may have to take a get a little shot of tea, um, and, and and but we're gonna make it through it, or I'll just stop talking and we'll be done but you'll know the sermon won't go too long because i just can't physically do it all right enough with the introductions let's read our text our text the parable is the um the parable of the great banquet this this first parable is found in the book of luke uh bob fantastic you can follow along on the screen with me let's read it together then jesus said to them someone great someone gave a great dinner and invited many at the time for the dinner." He sent his slaves to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regards, my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel the people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. I've been thinking a lot about this story that Jesus tells because it raises a question that I, 2,000 years later, I feel like we are still having the same question. And it's a question about who is in and who is out. Who is in the kingdom of God? Who belongs and who is not in the kingdom of God? In context this this takes place in the book of Luke and he is telling this story in the house of a prominent Pharisee or a religious leader and it says that during this passage in the scriptures that he's being watched closely by the religious elite at the time they're paying attention to what he's having to say and so he tells this story to kind of upend a little bit uh, who is invited to into the kingdom of God it, it's part of a series of chapters here. If you look in the next chapter, so this is, takes place in Luke chapter 14 to Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parables and redefines what it means to be lost. He tells the parable of the lost coin. He tells the parable of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. So you can start to see this thing that is happening before that, that he's trying to get people's attention that those who you think are part of God's kingdom may not be who, who is a part of God's kingdom. They're not the first ones invited. In fact, in the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 13, a bystander, this isn't a religious leader, but a bystander asked the questions, master, will only a few of us be saved? They're obsessed with this question, who's right with God and who is outside of God? And I'm gonna read his response, and I'm gonna read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message translation, because I think it hits at it in a very uh, poignant way. So the bystander says, master, will only a few be saved? Jesus said, Whether a few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down at God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to come in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. You'll protest. But we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted with this abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. That's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders stream in from the east, the west, the north, and the south and sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time you'll be looking in and wondering what happened. This is the great reversal. The last in line will be put to the head of the line and the so-called firsts ending up last. This parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the great banquet, is a warning or a caution to those of us who are religiously comfortable, who believe that we are on the right side. Now, the traditional interpretation of this text is that Jesus was telling this to the Jewish people. He was warning them that the kingdom of God is just not just for the Jews, that the Gentiles will be invited into the kingdom of God. And it's a fair (coughs) interpretation of the text, but I think today we can apply it to today as well, because we seem to be really obsessed with who's right and who's wrong, which side is right and which side is wrong. And what we find here is that the invitation goes to those least expected first. To those on the farthest edges of society. In Luke's parable, he says specifically it starts with the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The people we walk past most often in our daily life. The kingdom of God begins there. Not with the comfortable and the religious elite. It is also not for those who make excuses. And in in this parable, several, the invitations went out to people you would think would be invited and they all made excuses. I've gotten married. I have this new land. I have a job. I have all this. I don't need to come to your feasts. I'm doing just fine. As to those of us who are comfortable in where we are, God extends the invitation past them and says, if you don't need me, then I will compel others to come. Those living on the edges are the ones who need God most, and they're the first ones to come dying at the table of God. There's a second parable that Jesus tells, and this one's the parable of the wedding banquet, and there are many similarities, but there's also some differences, and we're going to look at this one as well. Hold on. Watch me drink. All right. Matthew 22 this is in the gospel of matthew the parable of the wedding banquet you can follow along on the screen once more jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the bed, to the wedding banquet but they would not come again he sent other slaves saying tell those who have been invited look I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the slaves, mistreated and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets, and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets, and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall would be filled with guests. But when the king came in and saw the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, "Bind him hand and foot, and throw him out into the art of darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen." Now, in this parable, it's similar to the other parable, but it just seems like the stakes are a lot higher. And it makes sense if you look at it, where Jesus is telling the story, he is, he is just days before his death. In Matthew's gospel, he has entered Jerusalem. He is in, with it. He knows he's going to die within days. Um, it is after he has cleansed the temple. Every day his authority is being challenged by the religious elite. And Jesus doesn't mince his woods with this parable. You are not worthy to be at this table. You are not worthy to be at the feast. Therefore, I will invite everybody else, good or bad, to join. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. There are similarities between the two. Obviously, there's a feast. There's an illustration of a, a banquet or a feast, a party that people are invited to. There is urgency in Matthew's account. In fact, the Greek word used for "come" when the invitation in Matthew's gospel is different than the one in Luke's. Luke's is more of a "come on, let's go. You should come." And in Matthew's, it's like "come." Exclamation point. Hither is the word we get from. Hither. When was the last time you used hither? Hither. Come. You must come. There's an urgency to those. Jesus is trying to get people's attention. You must come. You must come. And, and if you, ex- you do not accept my, um, if you, you who think you are invited, who are trying, the, the Pharisees religiously, you are not, it, the people who will be at this banquet are not the ones you think would be there. People who took their status for granted are the ones that found themselves on the outside. And then it makes this turn in the, in, in the end of that parable where he talks about burning cities and, 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 and it's kind of dark. If, I'll read it again. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? and he was speechless. And when the king said to his attendants, bind his hands and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. It's texts like this that a lot of people try to use to divide and say, see, see, some people are in and some people are out. And so we're in and you're out because Jesus is going to separate and then, you know, we're on the inside. But I think what he's saying here is, especially if you went out into the streets and invited people to wedding beds, I think, historically speaking, the, the, the thing about the garment is that the wedding, the, the, the host would have provided a wedding garment, especially bringing in people from the streets. You're coming to my party, you're sitting at my table, you're not dressed appropriately, you probably stink and smell, we're going to clothe you, we're going to bring you in, and you'll be part of my family. And someone snuck in who didn't belong. Now, it's, it's passages like this that get hard because we, especially us on the progressive side of things, are always about love and everyone's love and, and, and here Jesus is mincing his words about, some will come and you are not invited. I think um, I, there's a parable that author Brian McLaren wrote that I think helps shed some light on what maybe this, this means. And there's a story and it's about a sheep and a, a farmer. And the story goes something like this. Imagine that there were sheep, and they were peaceful, and they thought uh, they're, they're in their pasture and everything was good, and they thought they were being fearful and elitists and exclusionists by having a fence. So they took their fence down, and they opened the gates. And there were wolves watching from a distance. Wolves are cunning creatures. And they thought we could just run in and devour the sheep. But that would cause a panic, and they just rebuild the fence. Let us pretend to be their friends, and then we could feast on the sheep for years. So the wolves approached the sheep and said, your goodwill gesture is appreciated, and we will live amongst you in peace. And the sheep were delighted to hear this uh, before their plan of peace worked, and the wolves came and they, they laid with them, and they even ate grass for a time, and they enjoyed the sun together. And then each night, the wolves would find a sheep that had drifted away from the feast, And the sheep would wander, uh, the, the wolves would find a sheep that wandered away, and they would have their feast. Eventually, the sheep realized what was happening, that they had been tricked, and they pled for the farmer to rebuild the fence. And the sheep became more distrustful of outsiders than they were before. Hostile, distrust, dis, distrustful exclusivism... Is not the path of the kingdom. Keeping people out at all expenses is not the way of the kingdom, nor is naive self-sabotaging inclusiveness doesn't do it as well. It is not the picture of the kingdom. That's what I think Jesus is saying here when he he starts talking about you're not invited, you're out, weeping and gnashing of teeth, Um, outer darkness, throw them out. Purposeful inclusion is for the kingdom of God. You must genuinely want to be at the feasts. You must want to wear the garment of the kingdom of God. You want to you must want to feel, think, and be in the pastures of God. Here's the paradox I think Jesus is getting at in this, parado- in this parable. To be truly inclusive you one must exclude exclusive people. To gather one must not gather those who scatter. To reconcile, one must not rec- reconcile with those who refuse reconciliation. So here we are. We have these two parables spoken to the religious leaders at the time and the question of who is in and who is out. And we are still having this question today. On one side, we have people, uh, this is my, this is my uh, take on it, and we have people who believe that right thinking is the pathway to God is the right way. If you have the right thinking, then you are in the kingdom of God. It is the pathway to righteousness. It is loyalty to a worldview, uh, and that loyalty of of a worldview is the pursuit of God. If we think right about God, then we are part of the kingdom of God. However, this comes with a lot of risks, and, and I think, the pursuit of right thinking and the right quote-unquote Christian worldview often comes at the, at the cost of missing God completely. We've exchanged the pursuit of a Christian, modern Christian worldview for the pursuit of God. And in this way, we can condone all matters of moral failings from our leaders as long as they bestow the correct worldview of our God. In their minds, the outsiders are those who do not believe in God the same way. They are the atheists, the pagans, the humanists, the people who have a different theology. And they say um, those without right thinking are obviously not a part of the kingdom of God. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, there are those that say right action is the pathway to the kingdom of God. Our actions define our beliefs and our path to, and, and our path to God. We are what we do. The pursuit of God is the pursuit of justice and empathy. In this way, uh, we stand with people with wildly different worldviews as long as the output is justice, love, and empathy. and I would suggest that many of us here at central that 's where we are, many of us, not all but many of us at Central lean this way. Uh, we often say, you know, how you believe what you believe is more important than what you believe, you know So in this way, we can stand with atheists and, and, and people with very different worldviews And as long as the output is the same of compassion, empathy, and justice, then we don't have a problem And so we think right action is the pathway to the kingdom of God, right action is the way um, To the banquet, to the, to the feast of God's kingdom However, there is a risk in this as well And like the actors in the parables, we make excuses and we miss God completely. We have rallies and petitions and causes to support and we miss God completely in it. Those words, your kind of knowing is hardly knowing, haunt me when I think about this. Of how in our, in our pursuit of justice, do we not pause for a moment to simply be in the light and love of Christ and let that transform us? I think of the the story of Mary and Martha, also found in the book of Luke. Jesus comes through and he comes to the house of Mary and Martha. And Martha is busy in the house getting all the preparations done. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus being taught. And Martha gets upset eventually and says like, Jesus, can you tell Mary to stop being so lazy and come help me out? We have a lot to do. And Jesus scolds her. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken for her. So often in the pursuit of right action, we miss God completely. So there we have it. We still have two sides. The pursuit of a right thinking, the right worldview. If we think about God and we the same way, then then maybe that's the path. And then on the other hand we have the pursuit of right action and we think if we do the right things, if we stand for certain things, then we, that is the path to God. And I want to suggest to you that what the parables, these parables that Jesus is sharing with us today, is that we are missing it completely. The invitation to the wedding feast transcends right thinking and right action. It extends first to those on the fringes, the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. It extends to the good and the bad, those who have correct thinking and those who do not, those who have correct action and those who do not. The invitation is bigger than that. All are welcome at the table of Christ. Jesus tells the religiously comfortable and the powerful, therefore, I I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. It will be given to people who will produce its fruit. And in Galatians, Paul gives us a picture of what it means to produce fruit, to be to, to what God is looking for. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It is peace. It is patience, <laughs> me. patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. The kingdom of God is for people who pursue the Spirit of God love, deep love, reckless love, radical love, joy. Joy in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering. Peace. In a troubled world, those who seek peace when it is so hard, when anger and and, and rage is so easy easy to turn to. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The feast that Jesus is talking about, that all are invited to, is the pursuit of his kingdom. And those are the values of God's kingdom. I think the world would look like a very different place if those who called themselves Christians pursued these things. I am reminded of a person Um, when I was in first grade, so we gotta go back a long time. I was in first grade, I was six going on seven years old, and there was a boy in my class, his name was Greg Purdy, Greg Purdy, and he was textbook troublemaker. Um, he, He got in trouble a lot, he got into fights, he cussed a lot, and as me, pure me, innocent child me, as a six-year-old, going, you said what? His name had check marks on it all the time from the teacher on the blackboard. Greg Purdy was getting in trouble all the time. It was January, and we had just gotten back from Christmas break. And the teacher, Mrs. Holt, my teacher, Mrs. halting said, we're going to go around the classroom, and I'm going to let everyone tell, say, one gift you got for Christmas, I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a delight. And everyone gets to share what they got for Christmas. And then I'm sitting at my desk and I think of Greg Purdy. And I think, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? Because I know how Christmas works. I know how Santa Claus works. Santa Claus brings gifts to good boys and girls. And he brings coal to bad boys and girls and i look at him and i'm like oh my i'm like this is so dramatic what is he going to say he doesn't he didn't get any clothes he didn't got, he got nothing for christmas obviously because i know how this works <coughs> so t- the teacher <coughs> excuse me teacher's asking and going it's going around the class and it's slowly getting closer and closer to Greg Purdy and I'm like sweating because I don't like conflict but I'm like what's this is like nobody and nobody else seemed to care but I was like oh this is this is gonna be bad and Mrs. Hulting calls on him and she says Greg what did you get for Christmas what did Santa Claus bring you and he's slouched back in his chair and he says I got a boom box I verbally yelled the yelled this out what a boom box I was so shocked I, I like I my entire world started to collapse on me this was impossible Craig Purdy got a boom bo- not only did he get something for Christmas he got something awesome for Christmas this was the late 80s boom boxes were really in at the time right he got the best gift in the class I think that's when my deconstruction of everything I knew started in the first grade because I was convinced I understood. I had the right thinking of how Christmas worked. I know how this works. I know who is good and who is bad, and Greg Purdy is on the bad list. He's on the naughty list, and he got a boombox? How unfair. It came to me. I said whatever. I said, to this day, I cannot tell you what anybody else in the class got, and I can't even tell you what I said I got for Christmas because Radical grace is like that. It's not about right thinking. I had the wrong thinking about who was in and who was out. And it's not even about right action. Because Greg Purdy got the best gift in the class. I was preparing for this message and I was like sitting at home thinking, I don't really want to slander this guy in front of me. Like, but then I'm like, there's not very many people in the church. No one knows who he is. But I was curious. So I looked him up. I was like, I, haven't, I have no idea what happened to this kid. I, I don't know. So I did a Google search. Um, and I found his obituary. It was the first thing that came up. He passed away this past August. He died in his home, is all it said. He was 39 years old. I can't make any speculation or assumptions as to what happened. He didn't make it to 40. And it, and it hit me that the kingdom of God was first for people such as him. The people that were the furthest away. And no matter how I tried to structure it in my head about who is in and who is out, I had it wrong. It wasn't about my thinking of who is in and who is out. It wasn't even about the right action because he's the one that needed God the most. I had become comfortable in, what my, in, in how I felt about myself as a good person. Instead, the invitation is for everyone. It's for you, it's for me. It's for people who feel like they never belonged. There are those of us, um, who are part, uh, maybe you're a part of the LGBTQ community and you've never felt like you've been accepted in church. You've never felt like the invitation was for you or if you did hear the invitation, you thought it came with conditions. The parables of the, that Jesus taught said you are welcome. The invitation is for you to come. Some of us just don't feel worthy. We don't feel like it is for us to dine at the feast in God's kingdom. The invitation is for you to come. For some of us, we have let a cynicism fester in our hearts. We've replaced love and the pursuit of God with a cynicism. With our arms crossed, we question everything, we intellectualize what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I want to say that the invitation is for you to just to come to the table of Christ. From the outside in is the way it works. The invitation is for all. Max and the band are going to come up and play a song here in a moment. I asked them to play this song. It's a Damien Rice song. I had the opportunity to see him perform at the Greek theater. He's an Irish singer-songwriter. Um, you can come on up uh, he's an Irish singer-songwriter, and he talked as when he introduced the song. He talked about growing up in Ireland, and in his household and in his community, religion um, was not healthy. I should say uh, it was uh, in in many ways oppressive. It was about right thinking and right action. It was not about the fruit of the Spirit. It did not make, it did not help him be, grow in love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithless, gentleness and self-control. And he had to deal with all of this. And he wrote this song and he says, I suspect many people out there, whether it's religion or something else, have grown up with this burden and this oppression, um, this heavy burden. And he wrote this song as an invitation to come. Come. They're going to play it for you in just a second while we take communion. We take communion every week here at Central. It is the feast of God's kingdom, a time of reflection to think about Christ, his sacrifice, the resurrection, his teachings, his life, his love, and his radical redefinition of who is in and who is out. At this table, all are invited. At Central, we say, you know, it's glut- the, the, the crackers are gluten free, the, the, the juice is alcohol free, and it is free and open to all who wish to come and dine at his table. Each episode of the Central cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here is this week's unedited discussion. Right as we do every Sunday here at Central, though you have about 10 minutes or so, it's time for questions and comments and uh, you can respond. You, If you have thoughts on what was presented this morning, if you have questions, you are welcome to share. If you have disagreements, you're welcome to share as well. I have a cold, so I probably couldn't hear you anyway, so um, feel free. Anyone, anyone? Does anyone have anything they want to share?
1: Um, So, as I've mentioned before, I'm a middle school teacher, and so I loved your story about the whole who's in and who's out thing. Um, This is my 21st year of teaching, and um, my first few years, I was very much focused on, like, these are the good kids, these are the bad kids. i got to control these kids and praise these kids. And I'm so grateful that I've been in this profession for so long, because it's just like you were sharing at the end of now, it's everybody. There's no good or bad. Uh, but that took me a long time He said come to. And, and, I, and, you know, so I just wanted to share that.
0: Thank you for that. We love our categories, don't we? Anybody else? Thoughts? I know you have thought. Oh, Micah left. He was offended. He took off. No, just kidding. Anybody? His hat's still here. He'll come back for that. Yes, Sarah. Thank you. Um, I really loved everything you had to say. Um, When you were talking about what really matters is kindness, love, and then you said self-control. That was one thing where I was like, um, what do you you mean by that? Can you just expand on that? Self-control. Like that's the thing that makes us holy and get into the kingdom. I think it's the pursuit of it. I I can't. We're all going to fall short on all of these things, right? I I think what the text is getting to is the closer we are to God, the closer we are to his light and his love and his goodness, the more we will see these fruits of the Spirit play out in our life. The more love we will have, the more joy we will have, the more peace we will have, more patience, kindness, goodness. And you will find you will have more self-control. Because as the closer you are to God, the closer you are to seeing seeing the world with a kingdom point of view and understanding his compassion and love for everybody, the more you will have patience with yourself and the more you will have self-patience or, or um, self-control with yourself and with other people, I think is what it's getting at. I mean, it's a, it's a subject that we can dig into. I mean, there's probably lots of books and, that can help you with that, with more practical things you can do, but that's my take on it is, anybody else have a comment? Yes.
2: Uh, Yeah, kind of on that, and I think that's a a perfect example of, uh, you know, even as Christians, you know, as Christians we have different experiences, we have different ideas of what, you know, being Christian is, and you know, for some of us, you know, we might be like, yes, it's kindness, it's love, and it's wait, what, self-control, you know, and and for some, and even as Christians, even as progressive Christians, for some people it's kind of like, it's not my it's not my doctrine, that's not my, you know, that's not my path. And, and so it's, it's inter- I appreciate you, what you're saying, it's, you know, it's open to everybody and in a way it's kind of like, it's hard to pinpoint how to even what is right, what is not, you know? And uh, I think that's a journey of self-exploration and also dialogue that we constantly need to have and you know, more so it's just such a broad, yeah, such a broad point.
0: Thank you. That. Thank you for sharing that. I agree. Um, any other thoughts? Comments? Questions? You guys are taking it way too easy. Uh-oh. Adia.
1: Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Adia Matthews. I know Nathan. Um, I sit in the office next to him. So really, thank you for inviting Uh, Me out to see this other side, my coworker. Um, And a couple of things are coming to mind. So, one of the things I think is really interesting is to hear this tension between the right thinking and the right actions, and like how we're navigating that tension every day. Um, I think it's beautiful to have that tension, right? Because then, if you pick one side, you get complacent, and that's sort of where a lot of the othering. Uh, comes in. So it was really great to hear you talk about that because that's something that I'm always thinking about and navigating. Um, And then the other part of navigating that tension, when you're observing it at others, you get to see sort of the decisions they make and also like the God in them And, and especially when it's pressure tested. So sometimes in the workplace, there'll be a lot of pressure testing Some people's workplaces can be different than others, but in general, right, it's one of those environments where you're pressure tested and like who you really are and where you fall in the line or like how do you react under pressure really come out. And I think that's really when people who are beacons of God in those places come out. and as someone who was raised in the faith, but didn't ultimately pursue, let's say, a career path in, the, in, the, in, in something faith-related, it's always been like, am I on the right side? Am I not on the right side? But then there are people who get to be exemplars of God in those pressure-tested places. So having seen you, I think you're definitely one of those people. Um, and so it was really great to be able to come and, and hear you share a different side of yourself.
0: Thanks, Adia. That's very kind of you to say that. Um, We go way back. Anybody else? Any other comments? We have just a couple minutes left, maybe room for one more. If not, we can get to lunch. No? Okay. Well, um, I'll be floating around if you want to talk. Uh, If this is your first time here, welcome. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Take care.